Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the High Vibration Living Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff, founder of Starseed Kitchen and High Vibration Foods. Join me for conversation where we learn about food, wellness, beauty, travel, and spiritual concepts for high vibration living. Only you know what your body needs. Let this be the reminder that you have the power to tap in and know the food, self-care, and spiritual practices that will best serve you. I will be sharing my knowledge and learning with you from experts providing insight into nourishing all the layers of you, the physical, emotional, spiritual, and etheric bodies, so you can feel your best and live your dreams. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to the High Vibration Living Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff, and today I have the pleasure with chatting with Chef Kelly Scott. Chef Kelly Scott is a nutrition-focused personal chef serving those with specialty diets, restrictions, and those who want healthy food that tastes amazing. She trained at the Culinary Institute of America and has over five years of experience in professional kitchens and restaurants. She loves teaching cooking techniques on social media and through her cookbook, The Basics of Cooking. Welcome to the podcast, Chef Kelly. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. Me too, um, because you have so much to share and teach, and you do such a great job of doing this on social media. And I'm really excited and grateful that you had time to come on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm so excited. I love your podcast and everything that you do. So when you invited me, I was like, oh my gosh, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Well, why don't we introduce the listeners to kind of who you are as a chef, what you were doing with your career in life previously, and what led you to culinary school? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm a chef here in Orange County, Southern California. Um, prior to that, though, um, I've only been a chef for probably six, seven years spent in the industry. Prior, I actually had like nothing to do with cooking. I um, had an interesting journey to getting to becoming a chef. Uh, Earlier in my life, I was like a very intense volleyball player. So I played college volleyball and volleyball, like basically my whole entire life. And so that was my life. I didn't have time for anything else. And so in college, I actually got a traumatic brain injury that made me have to quit volleyball. I was medically disqualified um, from playing ever again. So during that time, I was basically got like super depressed and because um, that was what I thought I was going to do for my life. Um, I was like, oh, I'm just going to play pro volleyball and coach volleyball. I don't know. And so when that was kind of like taken out of my options for my future, I was just like 
very much in a dark spot in college. And so I turned to having an eating disorder. I had what's called orthorexia, which is a little actually less known. Um, I don't know if you've heard about it, um, but it's becoming more talked about now. It's just kind of when people fixate on having perfect food, perfect health, um, I made sure to like work out all the time. And by doing that, I lost like 50 pounds within a year, which I was not in a place to be losing 50 pounds. And it was very, very unhealthy, but I was just like so obsessed. And that was the thing I just latched on to because I didn't have any control of my health and my brain health. So I was like, well, I might as well control every other aspect of what's coming into my body, what I'm doing for workouts and all of that. So that's what I did. And through that, I ended up cooking for myself because I didn't trust anyone else to cook for me. I was like scared of every single oil possible, scared of like just everything. I was very limited on what I ate. So I started cooking for myself. And through that process, I actually was like, oh, this is fun. Like cooking is really fun. And even though I didn't like love eating that much because I still had like food fear, I got more into cooking. And when I started to come out of my eating disorder and get help, I got a therapist, nutritionist, I still loved cooking. And so by the end of my college, which um, that was probably like my junior year of college that happened, by the end of my senior year, I was like, I love cooking so much. I want to keep doing it. And then after college, decided to go to culinary school because I was like, I can't imagine just like not cooking all day, every day. That's kind of got into it and then I got into culinary school and all of that. But yeah, that's like how that rose up before I was like 21. I did like couldn't even cook like an omelet. I like didn't cook anything. And now you do such a great job of teaching people basic techniques in such a clear, understandable, relatable and approachable method. It's really, it's really amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I love doing that because when I was like 21 and like just learning how to cook, I was just like learning from recipe books and like food network and stuff. And I really didn't like understand this stuff. So like my goal is to help people who are like probably in the same space, um, who would just like to learn the techniques more and like learn things here and there that can help them make the recipes and cooking for them easier and also more enjoyable. Cause when you're like a better cook, it's like obviously more fun to cook. Exactly. Well, when you graduated from culinary school, I know you went and worked in some restaurants and worked with some meal prep companies. How, how did you find what to do after culinary school? That's such a tough, everyone, you know, you get out of school, whether you're in college for another, another industry or culinary school, once kind of the gates open up, you almost don't know where to go. How and where were you led? Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like right after culinary school, like you said, you're just kind of like, oh my gosh, what do I even want to do? Because there's so many different ways you can go. I originally started with restaurants and I worked in a bunch of restaurants during culinary school. And through that experience, I knew I absolutely hated it. Um, Working on the line um, is not easy at all. And it's really hard on your body and the hours are hard. And also you don't get paid much either. So that was, um, I knew pretty quickly after school, I was like, this restaurant world's not for me. So I ended up working at like a healthy meal prep company in Orange County and they're called Model Meals. And I worked there for a long time and just to like learn more about like kind of the food industry. And also I really was into healthy 
cooking still because I still like to cook healthy and like that's how I eat and I wanted to be able to cook that way for other people too so that was my introductory into working for a company that was more health food based which was always my goal anyway because I never wanted to work in like restaurants or places that did a lot of unhealthy stuff because I love helping people on their health journeys so that's how I got into that niche and then from there started doing more private chefing stuff because um I couldn't afford to live basically working on just that salary I was like oh I need to supplement it with other stuff too and so I did a lot of personal chefing stuff and then kind of grew from there did you learn anything working for a meal prep com- company that you've been able to apply into cooking for yourself or your clients? Like any special techniques that you saw them doing that you can now yeah. use for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I learned a lot from them and um, what to do, what not to do, especially with meal prep and healthy cooking and stuff. Um, it really helped me learn what people like when it comes to like sauces and how to make meal prep more interesting. They did a great job of like making sure each dish had a fun sauce and a fun meat and different themes. So I was able to learn more about like organization for meal prep, how to kind of plan for people um, on their meal prep. Cause that's kind of what I do now for a lot of people and how to keep it like interesting and not just your typical rice, veggies, and meats, you know, so try to keep it more interesting. So that definitely helped, um, working for them and learning that stuff. And I was like head saucier. So I was like cooking all the sauces, which I think is the most fun and most interesting when it comes to meal prep, because sauces just make everything more interesting. So that definitely helped me, um, prepare for more things I would do after that company. So for your clients right now, are you creating customized meal plans for them or do you put together um, a menu for the week and then your all your clients pick and choose from that same menu yeah so I do the former so I don't have a a set menu for people um, because I kind of made my services kind of how like I would want to eat like I personally from working for that meal prep company learned I don't like ordering from set menus because it's not personalized. So I wanted to make a service for people and my clients that would be super personalized to their needs, goals, allergies, because not every one person's the same. So I have a lot of clients that will even come from like other meal prep companies that have the set menus and they want something different because that just like wasn't working for them. It wasn't enough food or they don't like a certain mm-hmm. vegetable and allergy. So all my clients menus each week are completely different and catered towards their their needs because like that's what I would want personally um out of like a chef personal chef so that's what I like to do for my clients and um it helps with people who are have allergies diet restrictions all of that I've heard the same thing as you that there's never enough food and way Mm -hmm. back in the day when I lived in LA um I did a a meal prep delivery service company briefly. And it was the same thing. It wasn't enough food and all they needed to do was just add some more steamed vegetables and I would have been satisfied, but it was, uh, there were not enough vegetables and the portions were just so absurdly tiny. So small. Yeah. And I would always get, I would eat the meals that from the meal prep company I would work for and I would always be hungry. And I'm like, how are people who are like bigger than me or men, for example, who usually eat more, 
oh, like not starving after these meals and same like the vegetable thing. I'm like, I want all the veggies and they usually skip out on the veggies because they're more expensive and all of that. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, so how, how do most of your clients find you? How do you as a chef network? That's a great question. So now I, now that I'm more established in the area, a lot of word of mouth and social media too. I've done nice. a ton of people on social media. Um, in the beginning, when I was just first starting out, it was more just random, like lead websites. Like I had my very first client from Craigslist, ironically enough, uh, which is like, seems so sketch now that I think about it, but they were great clients and I got them off Craigslist. Um, so I just had to like advertise more, but now that I, um, people like my services and I have like the clients that I've had for years that will just like share my name with people. It usually just comes word of mouth and social media people like randomly find me from like uh, Orange County stuff, so, so SoCal stuff and all of that. So a lot of just, yeah, networking with the people I already work with. How do you approach a new recipe? So if a client reaches out for meal prep and says, you know, I really would like something like this. Can you make it for me? And it maybe is a dish that you haven't made before. How do you approach it? Do you, do you just go and search for recipes and then choose the one that feels most, feels most appropriate according to the ingredients and your client's preferences? Or, um, you know, do you practice ahead of time? What do you do? That's a great question. I think it definitely depends on like what they're looking for with most things like cooking wise. I know the techniques of stuff. Once you know the techniques, it's like very easy to cook a recipe as I'm sure you know. Um, so if I, if they just want like a certain pasta dish or a soup, I can look at a recipe and be like, okay, that's, I, I know that'll be good and even adapt it to what I think would even be better. Like if there's some things I know they might not like in there, I'll just change it and kind of make the recipe my own. So I don't necessarily need to practice it and I'm just tasting it along the, along the way. So you don't have to, if it's like something where it's like technical, if my um, clients request like a baked good, for example, mm-hmm. baking's not necessarily my um, most talented arena. Um, I definitely practice that because especially with like gluten-free baking and, uh, certain like dairy-free, if you have any restrictions there, it could turn out horribly in my experience. I always want to practice that at least once when it comes to baked goods. Um, so that's kind of how I approach. What do you usually do? Because I always see you do great recipes and baked goods. Like, are they all in your arsenal or do you have new ones coming in a lot too? So with, so it's funny. I'm like you, you know, I, I've been cooking since I was a little kid. I had a lemonade stand mm-hmm. at 11 years old. Like when I was in middle school, I was making my own pizza dough. Um, I was, I took all my babysitting money and I would walk to the grocery store, buy all my ingredients and bake all weekend. So, oh my God, that's so cool. Yeah, I got the baking bug out of me uh-huh. by the time I was in high school. Oh, that's good. So you're an experienced baker then. But that was like 1990s, slightly not health supportive baking, right? And Mm -hmm. if you go with traditional baking with white sugar, white flour, eggs, you, that's, it's really basically easy. It's easy with those. Yeah. Yeah. Health, health supportive cooking, you know, changing the sugars and the flours is harder because things don't cook at as fast. Um, mm-hmm. every, as you know, every person's oven's a different temperature. 
Um, so that is just different. So how I approach that is when clients request really specific, like I have to create a new recipe for them. Mm -hmm. I say, okay, round one is going to be an experiment. We have to all be on board for the fact that this is an experiment. We're taking a traditional recipe and we are going to switch the flour to the flour that you're choosing, such as cassava or mm-hmm. Bob's gluten-free flour. And then we're doing the sugar of your choice, whether that's maple crystals, date sugar, organic raw cane sugar, honey, maple syrup, whatever it may be. And so I just let them know round one is an experiment. And then we kind of go from there. That's smart. Yeah. Cause like you really don't know when, especially when you're making it from scratch. That's so different. And each sugar differs different. Each flour is different. So it's really like kind of a guessing game until you like nail it down. Exactly. And then the other thing is there are, you have to find tried and true chefs and bakers whose recipes you can trust. So like I can always yeah. trust Martha Stewart. I can always trust barefoot Contessa. I can always trust certain people um, paleo running mama. So I love her stuff. Yeah. yeah, I can take Mm -hmm. these people's and just like you, like I can take a Martha Stewart or barefoot Contessa recipe and I don't even have to practice. I can immediately edit all the ingredients in the recipe Mm -hmm. to make it more health supportive. That's really easy. And it works perfectly for me. Um, with paleo running mama, her stuff is already more health supportive, but I can start tweaking along the way to my personal or my client preferences and usually still get the results I'm looking for. Absolutely. Yeah. And you said it too, where you have to have like trusted sources. There's a lot of like recipe blogs out there that just like, aren't good Yeah, and, like, they or they'll just like kind of not be very well tested. And so it might work for them. Like once but like they have a different environment they're using totally different ingredients that they don't clarify and so it really has to come from like a trusted source too because there's a lot of like pretty crappy recipes out there yeah and I have to say I do rely a lot on the health supportive dessert recipes that I received from my culinary school I, I really, really scored. I have vegan and gluten-free cakes and That's cupcakes so nice. and cookies and all these different incredible dessert recipes that are hardcore tried and true tested. That's so nice because, yeah, like you went to such a niche culinary school where you had all the health aspects where, like, mine was, like, absolutely not. It was just, like, you know, normal culinary school. Um, so that is so nice that you have that as like foundational recipes that you can like build on and do stuff from. Yes. But you also, because of the school you chose, probably learn more specific culinary techniques that I maybe didn't, that I had to figure out on my own because that was really the focus where you were. That's so true. Yeah. It was like very technique driven and like all kinds of different culinary, um, things from around the world. So like it was definitely everything possible. So what are you cooking for yourself right now? Like, is there anything in particular that you crave this time of year that you try to make the time to cook for yourself? Yeah, I think um, most of my, well, the most chefs, this is probably true. So mostly I will just throw something together. However, I love a soup. I love a chili, anything that is warming and hearty Mm -hmm. is my like go-to. And plus like at the end of the day, I'm like tired and usually don't want to cook for myself because I've been cooking all day for someone else. So like an easy soup or chili that I can just throw in the Instant Pot or on the stove and just kind of let it go. (coughs) I just absolutely love. 
Um, but anything quick and easy, um, unless I'm like having friends over or if I'm having a nice date with my partner, then I'll do something a little fancier. But I'm sure as you can relate at the end of the day of cooking an eight hour day in someone's kitchen, I come home and I'm like, I don't want to cook anything else for myself. I'm tired. Uh, what do you do for lunches? What do you like to eat for lunch? And is there anything that you prepare in, in advance for lunch? Yeah. So I love the meal prepping in the sense of whenever I cook a dinner, I cook extra for lunch. So I don't, for myself Mm. personally, meal prep in the traditional sense where I spend like four hours out of the week and do a bunch of meals just so I don't have time for that. Um, but I will cook a bulk of the dinner and do like double portions just so the next day I'm going to have whatever I had for dinner the previous day. I think that works really well for me too, because I sometimes get sick of if I have like meal prep of like a bunch of the same meal, then I kind of get bored of it. So the fact that I can do like a dinner each day for lunch and I'm only repeating a meal twice, it works really well for me and keeps things like interesting and all of that. I always have like the typical like starch veggie protein is like usually my go-to and seems to work with me and try to get as much like healthy fats, uh, veggies as much as possible in there too. Since you're a saucier, any particular sauces you like making for yourself to go with your proteins and veggies? Yeah, I mean, I love literally all kinds of sauces. My favorites for especially meal prep and like proteins and vegetables, any tomato-based sauce is so easy to just like whip up any marinara, like a tinga sauce, um, salsa verdes even, like stuff like that. Um, that are also like lighter, lighter, not like super heavy. Like I don't personally eat like cream, for example, just because I don't do well with dairy. So using more like vegetable focused sauces that really bring a lot of flavor, a lot of herbs, like pesto sauces, Mm -hmm. love anything with herbs, tomatoes, vegetables, onions, garlic, all of that or anything like I'll put on anything basically. What do you do when you get burnout? So you know, I find that sometimes I, I get to a point where it's not just that I just am so tired of cooking and like my hands or arms physically hurt, but I can't even figure out what I'm craving anymore. Like nothing sounds good, but I'm hungry, but nothing sounds good. What do you do when you're in those moments? Oh, I totally feel that. That happens to me probably like once a quarter. So it happens to me a lot where I'm just like, I don't even know what I want or what I like. And when that happens, I do like two things. Either one, I try to go to like a new restaurant or like try a new cuisine and get like inspired that way. Cause when I'm in a rut, um, I usually just need some new inspiration. So I'll go to some new restaurant. Like the other month I went to an Afghan restaurant, never Afghan food before. Mm. Um, so I tried that and it was really, really good. And like got me inspired to do some more rice dishes and all of that. So like that will help me get out of a rut. And another thing that, um, my boyfriend and I like to do sometimes if I'm in a rut, I'll be like, name a cuisine or name an ingredient. And that is like usually not what we eat. And he'll like name something and be like, Korean food or something like that. And then I'll just have to get creative with it for one night a week of the dinner. And so that will help me like inspire some new ideas and get some creative juices flowing. Cause I'm kind of like forced to, and especially if I don't have to pick it out and if he helps me pick it out, um, then I'm like, Oh, okay, that's easy. It's kind of like another thing I have to do, but then it gets me more inspired to cook something new. So I definitely say like cook something new or try something new that usually helps with me. 
um, with food burnout or creativity burnout, for example. That's a great suggestion. I need to book some, I need to book some new dinner reservations for the next few weeks. Same. I always say that I wish I, I need to like go out to dinner more just to try more places, but I end up going to like the same spots and get on my routines, but definitely to be like more adventurous. Yes. The only place that I eat out here in Orange County in LA is actually Erewhon. And I usually mm-hmm. always get the same thing because it's just my way of not having to make lunch or dinner for a few days. Um, yeah. But otherwise, I save eating out for travel. That's smart, yeah. You know, that's really when I usually eat out. Um, I, you know, I, I need to get better at it and try exploring Orange County a little bit more. Or, or LA or San Diego. True, yeah. There's so many options in LA and San Diego. But yes. yeah, I, I tend to do it more when I'm, like, traveling, too. Because I just feel like it's more like a vacation thing. And mm-hmm. I never, really like, grew up eating out a ton. So even if I eat out a ton... Um, I feel like it's so thrown off of my routine if I do it too much, especially like as health focused chefs and eaters, it's like hard to find spots that align with those values. Yeah, I absolutely understand. And I, I understand, I think as more people learn about health and wellness and cooking, um, they can really relate to where you were with your orthorexia, where you're a little scared to go out and eat because of how they're going to be preparing your food. And knowing as chefs, we know the quality of the pots and pans they're using. We know the oils they're using. We know how they're cutting their salad dressings with mm-hmm. the oils that aren't listed on the menu and, and all those little things. Um, but I think there are points where you just have to get over it and enjoy the experience um, because 100%. you just can't control everything in life. So with, with restaurants, I kind of give it like with everything in life, it's like the 80, 20 rule, like 80% of the time I'll, yeah. I'll eat at home and I know I'm eating food that makes me feel good. And I know the source and I'm preparing it. But the other 20% of the time, I just got to lighten up and enjoy life. Exactly. Yeah. You can't like just be worrying about it all the time. And that's what like culinary school actually helps me with because going into culinary school, I was still kind of an orthorexic, not like completely, but like my mindset was still like, oh my God, I'm scared of all these oils, but being forced to eat all those things and realize like, okay, I'm not going to die from eating this every now and then every other week, you know, yeah, really helped. And like, I'd rather just enjoy life than just worry about it all the time. Like I used to worry and it's just more enjoyable and less stressful when you are actually like enjoying the food. And like, it's not like you're doing it every day, like you said, so It's all about the balance. Have you found that by not stressing about the food you're consuming that your health has actually improved or do you think it's just kind of stayed the same? I think, I think it's definitely improved because stress obviously has such an impact on health and I can see the most with my mental health because like before um, when I was in an orthorexic state, like I would go out to eat and like, I would have like panic attacks, especially if I was in groups and like, didn't, wasn't able to control what restaurant we were going to or what we were eating. I would just like ruin the mood. Cause I would literally just have panic attacks from eating out. So my mental health alone, like from lack of stress and when that like has happened is so much better. Cause I can actually enjoy my life and like be less stressful. And then obviously physical health too, stress manifests in so many ways. Um, and I would just have like physical anxiety. I would have stomach aches because like stress and gut are so linked together that now it just like doesn't happen. So definitely like the stress, the less stress 
has had a way positive impact on my life versus eating super strictly like I used to. For anyone that's listening, could you uh, maybe make recommendations on a few different modalities that you sought in order to get over that state of mind? Absolutely. For me, I saw out, I would say three different ways. I got a therapist that specialized in eating disorders that helped me basically just like made me immerse into what things that made me uncomfortable. Um, because it's obviously eating disorders are a mental illness. So you have to completely rewire your brain and how you think. And it's, uh, it's, you can't do it alone. It's really hard mm-hmm. to do it alone. So that was the first thing I did. And then I got a nutritionist as well, who just helped me kind of make a plan on what I would eat because I needed to plan it out. I couldn't do it alone and just change it um, because my brain was just completely rewired and like I didn't know how to eat like a normal human. So I need a nutritionist to help me figure out, oh, this is normal and like this is what you should eat again and blah, blah, blah. And then the third thing that helped me which I know this is a lot, like a lot of people can't just get all three. Um, I was fortunate where I was able to. And my third thing, I got a trainer because with orthorexia, I was just like running marathons basically every day. I was just sprinting all the time. So I got a trainer who forced me to change how I worked out. We only did weightlifting. We didn't do cardio. We uh, made sure it was like easy on my body. And I wouldn't feel it if I was doing it by myself, I wouldn't do it. So like that was the third and final thing um, that I implemented a little later. I did the therapist first because I feel like the mental health aspect is the most important nutritionist. Like I did second because I just like didn't know how to eat. And then the third, about like a year later, I got a trainer who basically just made me stop doing everything I was doing and made me train differently and helped me um, gain the weight in a way where like I wasn't tracking my weight. He was doing it for me. So he was kind of like hands-on controlling all of that. So I just kind of had to get like an army of help, um, to basically rewire my brain and change everything. Which is, yeah, no, I would say like mental health first therapy was the number one thing to help like get out of that mindset. Yeah. And transition into, you know, a new life outside of volleyball and everything else that was changing in your life. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because usually there's a trigger with things with people who have eating disorders. Um, you So it's usually just a lot of life things you have to deal with and emotional support because it's hard to do things alone, especially when you're in that state. Yeah. Well, now you're in a career that, you know, you're your own boss you run your own business, um, and it requires a lot of you physically and mentally. Um, have you sustained any chef injuries? Um, and if so, you know what have those been, and how have you um, healed them? Countless. <laughs> I'm sure you know being a chef is hard on the body, which I didn't realize until I was in this industry. Um, especially starting out, I was just uh, not not anything crazy. Starting out, I would burn myself all the time. I have just scars up and down my arms. I don't know if you have. I just like, I just very clumsy. Oh yeah. I just got a new one, and it's always with the baking. Always with the baking. It's like not anything else. Always sheet trays falling in your arm and stuff like oh. that. Um, so I just have a a ton of burns. I never really cut myself, luckily, um, knock on wood. I did never get any like crazy injuries there. And then the wear and tear over 
the pat over the five, six years that I've been a chef has kind of just gotten to me this past year where I have a lot of extreme tendonitis in my hand. I'm wearing like a wrist brace right now. So I have tendonitis in my arm and wrist. Um, and that honestly started because I worked for the meal prep company and I was just like cutting hard stuff all the time. And I was very like mindful of being careful with that. And so it triggered it then. And then we'll flare up every now and then I go to physical therapy um, a lot for it, which helps. And then my most recent industry injury was I had cartilage damage and a tear in my kneecap, oh my actually, gosh. which cartilage damage is probably from the volleyball. However, the tear in the kneecap was oh. I was cooking one day and I just took I just took a step to my left. That's all I did. And I just felt something on my knee. Like, oh my gosh. I, I, it felt like a pop to me, but it ended up being what was the knee tear in the kneecap. And I was like, that's not good. Um, and I actually got surgery on that last week. So that's on the mend. <laughs> good. But yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of wear and tear, as I'm sure you feel. Um, most chefs have that just from like the constant standing, lifting things, chopping things. It's like a lot on the body. It's a lot on the body. Nobody talks about it. Nobody warns you in culinary school. Like, and you were the, honestly, you were the first chef I've met that talked about it. And I, I know tons of people who are chefs. I've worked in restaurants like you, no one would talk about it. And you were the first person that talked about it and you share on social, social media, how you go to the infrared sauna and, um, Mm -hmm. and it just made me feel, you know, it made me feel so much better that, that I wasn't alone in the aches and pains and, and the wear and tear on the body, you know, for, for anyone that's listening, who might not understand what we're talking about, it feels like you did a really hard workout every day when you might not even have had time to work out. All you did was stand in a kitchen and yeah. And you know, if you put a Fitbit on, you actually don't move that much when you're cooking in the kitchen. It's not a great workout. It's just really hard on your hands and your arms and your knees and your legs because you're standing on, on tile or hardwood floor for long periods of time. But your your body starts to really, really ache. Oh, yeah. It's just achy all the time, like you said. And, yeah, you're hunched over. Like, my posture is – I need to definitely focus on my posture. Um, but yeah, it definitely adds up. But I'm surprised, like you said, I'm surprised more people don't talk about it. Cause I can't imagine that like not everyone feels that in this industry, especially if you're even, even working the line, like people do, like, I don't understand how people aren't in more pain than they are. Yeah. So are there, is there anything that you try to do weekly to support your posture, your body aches, um, just your overall well being because you're spending so much time giving to others? Like, what are those things that you that you do to keep the balance oh my gosh so many things I'm a big on like self-care and health and when we're in an industry like we are we like have to take care of ourselves so physically wise I love an infrared sauna so much I've felt that with inflammation and like working all the time and being so like puffy and inflamed that really helps there so I actually have like a portable one that we have in our house and I'll just like sauna once a day or like five times a week usually. And I've, I've seen that that's helped a lot with inflammation and like it's red light therapy too. And red light's so good for that. So I love, love, love the sauna. Um, what else do I do? Like weightlifting and, um, physical therapy to help just 
correct all the things that I'm doing. So a lot of like hand physical therapy, lower body ones too, to make sure I'm like set up correctly and just fixing all the things that I'm doing while in the kitchen and mental health wise on that category. Cause I'm big on that. I like to meditate every single day um, just cause it helps cause being a chef and a business owner is like very stressful. And I find that if I don't um, meditate daily, I will literally go crazy and just have so much anxiety. So I try to keep those in my practice to kind of counteract the stress and high intensity life of being a chef. Hi, I'm chef Whitney Aronoff. As a personal chef, I created custom organic spices for my clients. These blends are of the highest quality with no added sugar, MSG, caking agents, or any junk. I want you to have the same access to good quality seasonings, which is why I've launched my line of organic spice blends. High Vibration Foods by Starseed Kitchen is my collection of chef-crafted organic spice blends made with only good-for-you ingredients. I use organic source spices, ancient mineral-rich Redmond Real Salt, prepare the blends listening to Kundalini Mantra music, then charge the jars with the quartz Giza crystals for a true high-vibration experience. You can now purchase my most requested blend, 11 Magic Herbs and Spices, on StarseedKitchen.com. Use code STARSEED for 10% off your purchase. Can't wait for you to enjoy. How do you meditate? Do you listen to an app? Do you listen to music or do you just sit in silence? Um, I I wish I could sit in silence, but I'm not that good at meditating yet. I do listen to an app. I have what's called, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called NuCalm and it's kind of just like binaural beats or whatever they're called, like Mm -hmm. the meditative type of um, listening. And I'll do that for either 20 to 40 minutes and I'll just like get in the zone. Yeah. And usually I try to do it in the morning. Um, just start my day right and just like get in the zone and chill and listen to that. I'll have like my noise canceling headphones on and just uh, get me in a good place to start the day. Well, with that in mind, I'd love to know as, you know, a health supportive chef that you are, what your morning and evening routine is. That's a good question. (laughs) I'm a very like routine person type A. So it's pretty typical. Like normal day would be, I usually wake up at 5 a.m. I will probably go straight to the gym and try to do either uh, walking or I will do weightlifting and then come back, meditate, get ready for the day. And then the day usually starts at 7 or 8 a.m. And I'll just get to cooking for all my clients, go where I need to go or do stuff here um, in my kitchen and cook until, I mean, basically whenever I'm done cooking for the clients, as you know, that's however fast you may cook or whatsoever. And so that usually gets me to the early afternoon. I like to end kind of early so I can have my evenings and then have dinner and then nighttime, just kind of chill. Um, I have a, I live with my boyfriend, so we all, they're watching Netflix and then I'm usually in bed by like eight and just reading before bed um, and keep it routine that way. Um, so it's pretty like jam packed day, but I try to keep it very routine or else I'll be kind of like thrown off. Yeah. I have to schedule my wellness regiments within the calendar to make sure that, you know, you get it all done. Exactly. Yeah. You have to like squeeze them in. 
Are there any kitchen tools or gadgets that you use right now that you're really loving that you think the listener at home might enjoy bringing into their kitchen? That's such a good question. I I have a few in mind. Well, first one, start with like super basic that um, I find that people don't necessarily use a lot at home. I use a bench scraper for everything, Um, like picking up stuff. So like a bench scraper is like, for people who don't know, a lot of baking people, like pastry chefs will use it to like cut stuff when they're baking and kind of pick it up. However, I use it just pick up everything on my cutting board and like throw it in a bowl. So it's just like so much easier to transfer stuff. Yes. I'm always like, everyone needs to just get a bench scraper. It costs like $10 on Amazon. Just pick everything up. It's like a game changer, I swear. And it's like so easy. Um, So that's like my, my handiest tool. And then some gadgets I like really enjoy using. I love an instant pot. I know not everyone loves an instant pot. I think they're great because one, it like takes stuff off the stove for me and it's already crowded on the stove. So I can just throw like a stew in there and it'll quick instantly um, within like 40 minutes, whereas a stew would might take like two to three hours. So it just helps shortcut it. So I love an instant pot. Um, another fun gadget I like to play with is a sous vide. I love using a sous vide, which is where um, for people who don't know, you can basically cook stuff through a water bath system and, and it's temperature controlled. So you can cook meats and stuff in there and it's just fun to play around with that. So those are like my gadgets I think are super fun and like a useful tool that I see that not everyone uses, but otherwise I really just use cutting board, knife, normal pots, pans, and keep it pretty simple otherwise. What about any seasonal ingredients that you're really into right now? Anything new you've been scoping out that you're enjoying cooking with? I mean, winter season, I like love, love, love any squash. Squash is like my favorite season always. So I will eat any squash. My favorite squash is honey nut squash, which are what... I've just started seeing on the West Coast this year, mm-hmm. more predominantly, I, I'm from the East Coast where it's more common. And for the past like four years that I've lived out here, I have not been able to find them until this year. So I've been loving the honey nuts, um, anything seasonal. I love all the winter things. Citrus season is coming in soon. So I'm like really excited for sumo oranges, which are my favorite oranges ever. I'm just like waiting for them to show up. Um but I really like to cook as seasonally as possible because the ingredients just taste better than. Is there anything you're loving currently? So I've been really, I've been making roasted kabocha squash, which I love. You know, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it looks like a mini green pumpkin and it's more Japanese. I love roasting kabocha squash. And then I've been doing a hazelnut gremolata on top Ooh, for my yeah. client. So basically it sounds fancier sounds fancier than it is guys so basically I take um, parsley any type flat or curly some fresh basil um, lemon zest olive oil um, I think a little lemon juice garlic and ideally hazelnuts and just whip that all up in a small tiny little cuisinart till it's kind of nice and chunky like a pesto Um, and then I put it over the kabocha and it's amazing and I I only tried two bites at a client's. I've been making it for like all my clients and I tried two bites one day because I'm a pretty intuitive chef. I actually don't taste test everything because I, uh-huh. when you start to make things a certain amount of time, you just know, you know yeah. how to be right on with everything. 
And when mm-hmm. I tasted this gremolata with the squash, it blew my mind. So I have all the ingredients at home right now. I'm just really hoping I have the time and energy to make it for myself this weekend. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That sounds so good. I'm going to have to make that because the combo of hazelnuts and the the squash is just so good. It's so good. And you know, I really pack it with tons of fresh basil and parsley. So Mm. it really becomes like a heavy veggie source with me. And then I can just, you know, have just a little piece of protein and I'm good to go. Um, yeah. And, you know, if I have the energy, maybe I'll steam some broccolini to go with it and also dip, dip it in the gremolata. Um, mm. the, I'm going to have to make that soon. That sounds delicious. I'm hoping to make it too with a nice little like paleo meatball. It'd be, yeah. it'd be a really nice meal, but you just yeah, have to see good. if if I have the energy to get it done. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. Getting the energy after, after working a full week is not easy. Yeah, exactly. Um, are there any cookbooks you, I know you have a huge stack of cookbooks at home and you now have your own cookbook. Um, is there any cookbook you've been wanting to dive into that's just been on the shelf for a while? Oh, I have so many. I have this issue of where I buy a ton of cookbooks and I almost never cook from them. I really like reading through them and getting inspiration but I almost never like cook an actual item from them I have this Thai cookbook which I cannot remember the name of I should look it up um this Thai cookbook that I mean to cook like a really authentic Thai dish from I just need to make my way to like an Asian grocery store to get all the ingredients because you can't get them at your like everyday store mm-hmm. um but I also really love obviously like Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking is a classic I just I've never cooked from it. I just like looking at it for the most part, which is usually my kryptonite. I just buy a ton of books and I'll like look at them and be like, oh, this recipe looks so good and then never cook them, which I don't know if you have that problem, but it's definitely a problem of mine. I have that problem. Well, it's interesting because I have, surprisingly, there's two cookbooks that I heavily cook from for my clients. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm constantly walking around with a like 1990s, Esalen Institute cookbook. Are you familiar with okay. Esalen Institute? No, I'm going to look it up after this though. Yeah. So Esalen Institute is in Northern California in Big Sur and it is kind of known as this hippy dippy wellness spiritual center and they grow all their fruits and vegetables um, and everything in their kind of cafeteria restaurant is from the land that they grow their food from. They have hot springs and it's where people go for yoga retreats and spiritual and wellness workshops, conscious living workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, and their little cafe restaurant is super famous. And my client had the cookbook from there. And she just wanted a bunch of recipes made from that cookbook. And so she ultimately gave me the cookbook. And now I cook recipes for all my clients from that cookbook. And I've, I've tweaked all the recipes because it's like 1990s healthy, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, you know how every era in time has a version of what they consider healthy. Oh yeah. And it's really fascinating. So I cook a lot from this cookbook, tweaking the recipes and I just never have been able to take the time to type up my version of the recipe. So I just carry this cookbook around with me as if I'm carrying my knife set as well. It goes with oh, me. that's so funny. goes with me everywhere. Go into a client's place and you'll have the cookbook with you to cook out of? Yeah. I carry it with Love me it. all the time. Yeah. 
I will definitely be looking that up after this. And and then my dream cookbook to cook out of that I look at all the time. And I always tell myself, you know, I'm, I'm going to start cooking one recipe from it a week and it doesn't happen is, um, oh, it's the cookbook called Nourishing Traditions by, oh, by the president of the Weston A. Price Foundation. I'm just blanking on her name at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a classic and it just has a lot of traditional um, old school, healthy seasonal recipes that I just really want to cook from. Yeah. That, I mean, you can't go wrong with any of those. Yeah, exactly. Well, tell me what inspired your cookbook and the process of putting that together. Yeah. So I had this idea for my cookbook probably like a year or two ago. I always knew I wanted to make a cookbook eventually. I just didn't have the time or energy, but my cookbook's called The Basics of Cooking. And so the concept is I wanted to make a cookbook that actually taught people techniques as well as the recipes because a lot of cookbooks will usually just give you recipes and like have beautiful pictures and stuff like that, but never really teach the techniques, which when I was learning how to cook, like, in my early 20s, I was like, okay, I don't really know how to saute or like grill stuff. I'm just kind of like winging it and like making a ton of errors and trial by error usually. So I wanted to make a book that actually like taught people and especially like the fundamentals and so that they could grow from that and then cook any recipe that I basically wanted to. So that was like the concept. And I had been thinking about it for a long time. I had it outlined for probably like a year. And then finally this year, I knew it was the time to start it um, and really put it out there. And I'm really excited for everyone to see it. It's been doing like really well. And like people have been gaining lots of um, like knowledge and I think value from it, which was my goal would just help people learn how to cook it. And really it's for like any from beginning for beginning cooks to like seasoned cooks. Like for example, like my grandma has been cooking. She's 95. She's been cooking since she was literally a child. She's like Italian. So it's like all in her family. She, I sent her the cookbook and she was like, it's truly like any other cookbook. Like you really go through the techniques and teach people versus just kind of throwing it out there. So even my grandma who's been cooking her whole life is like, I even learned some stuff. So yeah, which was really special and great. So that was the my main goal is to just help people build a foundation through to basically summarize the six techniques that are like for every like fundamentals, which is like saute, roast, grill, braise, stew, and fry. And just go through all of those, break down the science of each of them and do a bunch of fun recipes so you can learn while, while you're cooking. And also what's unique is it's all cooked. It's all connected to video content. So Amazing. there's lessons where if you have, if you get the book, you have access to all this video content. So it's basically like a course in cooking because you're learning from all these videos. Every single recipe has videos that goes with it too. So you can actually see the techniques demonstrated in front of you. Cause I'm a visual learner. So I knew I wanted to bring that into it too. Congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. It was, yeah, it was a lot of work. I was, did not realize how much work went into making a cookbook, but I really think it's great. And I'm really excited for um, everyone who gets to read from it. What do you think is the one cooking technique that most people are intimidated by? I think 
the probably cooking meat. And I know it's not like one technique, but mm-hmm. like especially more expensive cuts of meat or braises and stuff like that. So like meat's obviously the most intimidating and that falls into a few different categories of cooking, obviously, and techniques. Um, but I find that people have the most questions about that and cooking with that because it's, it has a higher price tag. So it's a little scarier to deal with and also mm. a little trickier if you are just starting out and maybe don't know a certain cut. But I found that in my experience, meat's actually like one of the easiest things to cook Mm because it's like kind of a science to it. You can't really, as long as you um, do the technique right and like have a meat thermometer to meet thermometers help, um, you really can't mess it up in my experience. Once you have taught those techniques, then I think, um, it's actually pretty easy to cook meat. What, what, what do you think about that? Would you oh, agree? Some people I think, disagree. I think meat is the easiest. Um, Same. But what do you think is harder? Do you think meat and poultry or fish and shellfish? That's a good question. I think. I think for me, I think shellfish and seafood are easy for me and that's just I have a lot of experience with it um so I think it's easy but I think for the general people like most people shellfish and seafood is a lot more tricky to like get mastered at because you can easily overcook it and it becomes rubbery so quickly and also like fish skin can be difficult for people too so I think for like most people I think shellfish and fish are intimidating and there's like less experience with it um and meat it's probably a little harder to mess up i think yeah i think it's it's if you're buying quality meat it's harder to mess up if you're buying poor quality meat it's easier to mess up because you're already starting with the foundation that doesn't have flavor or has a poor flavor um absolutely i think that's the big thing yeah, especially with poor beef and like pork, for example, if you're starting out with like bad quality beef, you can really, it's really hard to get the flavor out of that. So it's harder to cook that and make it like actually taste good. Yeah. And I can't do cheap chicken. Once you've I, had, once it. you've had good chicken, you can never go back to. It's, it's like, doesn't even look the same. It's yeah. Crazy. <laughs> It doesn't. The look of like a generic chicken, I'm like, it's like yellow and weird looking. I just like can't stomach it. And massive amounts of water and fat come out of it when you cook it. So much water. Yeah. It's just like pumped full of water. Yeah. It's fascinating. I can't believe there was a time where I, where I thought I knew what I was doing with chicken. Literally same. I would used to like in college, especially too, when I was obviously not having any like a job or anything, I would get like $2 steaks and be like, this is so good. And now I'm like, what was I eating? When I was in college and early 20s, I was buying frozen Tyson's chicken at Costco and I'm horrified. But then I went through a phase where I didn't eat chicken at all because I was following eating right for your blood type. And Mm -hmm. it says for anyone that is a B, B positive blood type that chicken 
doesn't digest well for you. So I avoided chicken for many years. And when Mm -hmm. I was in culinary school, everything from our culinary school was from organic, from Amish farms, from upstate New York, the green market. It was incredible quality stuff. So we were doing poultry day and we were cooking chicken all different ways. And the chicken had all come from an Amish farm in Pennsylvania. It was exceptional. Yeah, it was exceptional quality chicken. And I was like, forget, forget eating right for your blood type. I mean, yeah. I'm trying the chicken today. And Absolutely. it was like a room full of ravenous dogs. Nobody <laughs> could believe how good the chicken was. It didn't matter how it was prepared. We all went crazy for the chicken. And it changed It changed my life. <laughs> because yeah. once you experience a high-quality simple food, you can never go back to buying the cheap version of that simple food. Oh, 100% agree because the flavor is just like so much better. And obviously the health qualities of it too, you just like feel so much better, which is why like I always prioritize having high quality meats. I know it's like difficult to access for a lot of people because of the price range. However, I think of it like if I'm buying this meat now, like I'm going to pay for it in my health later. Yeah. And if uh, there's anything that I spend my money on, it'll be make sure to have like high quality meat because I know low quality meat has such a detriment on health. Where do you like to buy your proteins? Do you buy them at a grocery store, online, butcher shops? Where do you go? I like to do it um, farmers markets number one local as much as I can local grass fed organic all of that um, I will sometimes order online like I know there's a lot of shipping services that do deliver which are have, have like really high quality um, and then try to find like a local butcher that is high quality um, in Orange County we have a few that are really good the butchery is really good. I also love Electric City Butchery. It's in Santa Ana. It's a little farther of a drive, however, but great quality meats, and you can really just taste the difference, and so you're supporting local too, which I love. But yeah, I feel like any farmer's market's going to have options wherever I have lived. I've lived on the East Coast. I've lived here. I lived in Northern California, and every single farmer's market I've gone to has usually has great quality meat access. Yeah, I agree. There's always at least one vendor that you can that you can really count on. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any, like a favorite spot where you get your meat for the most part? So I really shop around. I'll get things at Whole Foods when they, they tend to have great grass finished lamb. Um, and occasionally they have, you know, grass finished short ribs. So I kind of watch what they have and get it as appropriate. Um, I get certain things from the butchery, particularly chicken and pork for my clients there. Um, I buy from the Laguna Beach Farmer's Market from the meat supplier that's there. Um, I also buy lamb from them, and that's where I often get organ meats. I get organ meats at the butchery, but I like Mm -hmm. to get the organ meats from the the place at the Laguna Beach Farmer's Market because they can have really unique things. Like, they'll have lamb liver, and so I can – yeah, I can buy the lamb liver, grind it up in my little Cuisinart – and then mix it in with lamb meatballs or something else that I'm doing and just get something different that I feel is going to be health supportive for my liver or my body that, you know. Right. Yeah. You really can't see, you don't find those in grocery stores. That's for sure. Yeah. You can find beef or lamb 
Oregon meats. So yeah, that's smart. I'll have to check out the Laguna Farmer's Market. Yeah. And then I do buy my meats online because I, I had a guest on my podcast that introduced me to field harvested meat. Are you familiar with field harvested meat? I'm not, no. So that's when the farmer doesn't just raise their cattle or their lamb or their bison and make sure that they're eating truly from the land, but they also will harvest the the animal on the land, like outside on the land. Mm -hmm. So the animal's not put in the back of a truck and shipped for miles and miles. So Mm -hmm. it it never gets scared. And it doesn't fill its body up with cortisol. So the meat that you're getting isn't filled with more cortisol. Um, That's amazing. They they believe that by doing this traditional practice of field harvesting the animal, um, it doesn't just improve the quality of the meat, but it improves the quality of your health because now mm-hmm. you aren't eating meat filled with additional hormones because the animal was never stressed. That makes so much sense. And honestly, that um, my parents actually do this. I didn't know it was called field harvest until you just said that. But they live in like kind of the middle of nowhere, South Carolina. And every year they will buy a cow and they do that practice. I just didn't know it's had a term to it. And you can really taste the difference. Like their cow meat always tastes so phenomenal over any other grass-fed cow, pasture-raised cow I've ever had. And that may be because of that. So I order from North Star Bison. I go online and I order in bulk from North Star um, and I get a bunch of meat from them. And then through them, I'm also able to get different meats with the organ meats already ground in. And so that makes it a lot easier when, you know, I'm just, I'm hungry and I know I'm going to need to cook dinner after work. I can just Mm -hmm. pull the meat out of the freezer and let it defrost by the time I get home. And usually it's just making a paleo meatball or sauteing something in a skillet. Um, and then, yeah, so I order from North star bison. Um, I've been wanting to order from, I've ordered from 99 counties before from, from, for my clients. It's was previously known as Wallace farms. Oh, I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think what else, if there's, there's anybody else that I order from, I'd like to, um, Unfortunately, um, Riffle Bison Farms, who I had on my podcast, they only sell at like three mar- farmers markets on the East Coast or directly on their farm. Um, they sell out so fast they don't need to sell out online. But if anyone, yeah, if anyone's listening in the state of Virginia or in uh, Maryland or in Washington D.C., look out for or even West Virginia because they're based in West Virginia, kind of right on the border. Look out for Riffle Bison Farms at a farmer's market. You you want to buy up everything that you can when you see them at the <laughs> farmer's market. Like, that is the most blessed bison you are going to find. Oh, my gosh. Now I want some bison. I will definitely be ordering from the places you just listed. I am excited about that. Yeah, I need to do um, a bulk reorder. I ordered some... Um, some from 99 County, I, th- I can't, 99 counties where North Star Bison, I ordered, um, you know, a 100% grass finished brisket. And that mm. was so nice to have in the freezer because I just caramelized a bunch of onions, you know, added bone broth and some herbs and, you know, the seared, the seared meat. And it just made for such a nice, 
slow cooked hearty meal oh, that you can just easily so add a bunch of greens in with the mixture and um, then you have dinner for a few days and it's just so nice. Oh, it's the best. And brisket's my absolute favorite. So grass-fed brisket, yum. I know. When when you when you do it right, it is it is so good. And I think most people think brisket, they think of like a sugary meat, but there's a great way to to prepare brisket in a more health supportive manner. Oh, absolutely. I love doing it and like the way you do it. I also love like tomatoes and like all of that more like a Jewish style braised brisket. But yeah, most people think about barbecue brisket with like the, all the barbecue sauce and sugar and stuff. My favorite is actually just braising it low and slow and making it really, really delicious. I'm the same way. Well, is there anything in the health, wellness, spiritual or culinary space that you're really into right now that you want to share? Yeah, well, I am into the spiritual space. One of my good friends um, is like an energy healer, which got me more into it. So I'm currently really into energy healing and really focusing on that. And I found that has helped so much. I do some Reiki. I do um, lots of like sound bath healing as well. And I feel like that's so good for not only my mental health, but really for my physical health. Anytime I leave an energy healing session, I just feel much lighter my anxiety is gone and just like at peace with like everything and I'm pretty high stress anyway so that just like grounds me and brings me back down so I've been loving that lately I can't get enough of it um that's been probably my latest thing over the past six months health-wise and spirituality space-wise is all of that I completely understand I I couldn't do what I do Um, and I, I wouldn't want to live without it. You know, I Mm -hmm. was always working with an energy healer and doing sound baths once a month prior to becoming a chef. Oh, cool. Yeah. I've been, I've, I've been enjoying this for a really long time. God, I probably started going to sound baths in the early 2000s. Oh, wow. And then, yeah, probably in 2010 is when I started getting hands-on healing and and doing that once a month. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just evolves over time. You find different people with different skill sets um, that just help unlock the next layer. Yeah, no, I agree. And you find, like, new things. Every uh, person has a different thing that they add to their healing sessions or sound baths and stuff like that. And it's just fun to explore. I feel like that's, um, there's such a wide range of things in the spirituality space and like especially a healing space with spirituality that I don't even know about. So I'm excited to explore that a lot more. Yeah, it just naturally keeps keeps going and and unlocking unlocking different doors. Are there any, mm-hmm. any particular teachers that you like to follow on social media or you go and see in person that you want to share? Yeah. Well, one of my good friends is Christina. She's Christina, the channel. Um, you can find her on Instagram. All that. She is an energy healer and also psychic. And so she introduced me to a lot, but I love all of her content and everything she does. Um, it's just very like genuine and very good energy. So that's what I listen to and like podcasts and stuff there. And then I've found some local 
I've been kind of like bopping around recent locally, trying to find like some people here because um, Christina, my contact is in San Diego. And so I've just tried some new Reiki places here and there, um, just trying some new people out and trying to find like one that's a good fit for me. Um, haven't found one I like absolutely loved, loved yet. So I'm still on the market and just like trying new places and seeing what works um so yeah i've just been kind of bopping around but yeah i love christina's um podcast i love listening to all the people on your podcast too because um you have a lot of fun ones on there too thank you uh yeah and i've also been loving like human design stuff recently as well and just diving deeper into that and implementing that into my work too yeah, you have to build the foundation of understanding who you are and like all the skills that you came into this life with. You know, exactly. I feel yeah. like human design is just such a great way to build up your confidence again. If you're just in in a rut, um, mm-hmm. like turn to human design or or any of those modalities that just help you better understand yourself, and it gives you just such a great confidence boost. It reminds you that you have, you know, special unique skills and something to really share and give. Yeah, that was put so beautifully. I think that's so true, especially whenever I'm in a rut and need some guidance. I turn to those things lately and I, uh, it just helps me realign and know that, oh, well, things are going to happen how they're supposed to happen, especially human design. That's really helped me in business, just not force things that aren't um, how it's supposed to be in my design and my energy field and kind of just kind of going with the flow of what my like foundation and blueprint is supposed to be. Well, as a chef, where do you turn to keep kind of learning and growing? Um, does, you know, does it just come naturally with, um, with, you know, areas in your life because you're cooking all the time that you realize that you need to strengthen? Does it come with travel? Does it come from watching cooking shows? Where do you turn? That's a great question. I think a big part comes naturally, just like day-to-day learning stuff and like adjusting how I do things in my business, learning like what works and what doesn't work um, as number one for sure. And then usually just life experience, interacting with other chefs, going to new restaurants and learning that way. I like to watch video content on like social medias and seeing how like other chefs do things, especially um, that aren't in my field or maybe like they are a different cook different ethnic foods than I am experienced with that I learned that way I don't really learn from I don't have I just don't have time to watch a ton of cooking shows per se I wish I had more time to like sit down and enjoy them but I just don't so I do a lot of more like quicker form videos to learn stuff and just get inspired and then going out and eating and connecting with other chefs and foodies and learning kind of what they do and seeing how that can help in my business as well I feel ya. Um, any accounts on Instagram or TikTok that you think that you are following right now that you're loving? I always love learning about new people out there on any topic. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I will try to stick to cooking themed topics because I listen. To, I, I have a wide range of stuff, but in the cooking field, I have been loving on TikToks. I'm mostly watching stuff on TikTok. I I scroll way too much. Um, but I love a few accounts are 
lovely delights. I really enjoy her TikToks. She does like healthier baking, which mm-hmm. is fun. And it's just like aesthetically pleasing and all of that. I also love Cat Can Cook on TikTok. She's on Instagram too. They're both, all of them are on Instagram too. Um, but she is also, she was a cook who used to work for Martha, Martha Stewart. So she has like a lot of cool insights and tricks and like a lot of healthier stuff too, which I love. And then another one I also love is Jeff. I think it's pronounced Genevieve on TikTok. And she is a more professional chef and does, um, like, she has a whole business in Las Vegas and does, like, really high-end stuff. So it's cool to see what she does mm. and, and inspiring as well, too. But, yeah, I love all, like, food creators mostly on TikTok and Instagram. It's just fun to see what everyone's doing. It is. It always is. It's And it's impressive how they put those videos together because it is hard work to film like oh that gosh. and edit like that and actually cook the food. Yeah, it's so, it's literally a whole other job. It's so difficult to do. So especially people who do it in like a very artistic way, I'm very impressed. Me, me too. Well, where can people get in touch with you, work with you, watch your incredible cooking videos, get your cookbook? Share it yeah, all. They can, uh, thank you. They can reach out any, any um, basically social media I'm on. So at Kelly's Clean Kitchen, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, at Kelly's Clean Kitchen. And you can DM me on um, Instagram. I'm pretty good about getting back to DMs and inquiries there. And then if you wanted to work with me locally, I do a lot of private events, dinners, um, meal prep for people, cooking lessons. You can either go to my website, kellyscleankitchen.com, and you can inquire there or via Instagram, whichever is the easiest. Fantastic. And could you leave the listeners with maybe one healthy tip that they can consider adding into their life? Absolutely. I think the most important thing is really treating your mental health with the most respect. And I think meditation has like really changed my life. And I know um, formerly I didn't meditate ever. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't sit down for five minutes and just not think, but that has like transformed my life. And if you're a type A stressful person like myself, I think it is hugely beneficial. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. a great tip. And I love that you shared the app. I think it was new calm for meditation. New calm, new calm. Love it. Yeah. It's been a game changer. For me. I will check it out. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was so wonderful chatting with you. Thank you. It was so great chatting with you. I had so much fun and I appreciate having you. Yeah. And anytime you want to share anything new or come back on and chat all things cooking or healthy cooking or anything else you're exploring or into, please reach out. I'd love to have you back. Thank you so much. I definitely will. All right. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the High Vibration Living Podcast. Please leave a five-star rating and review wherever you are tuning in from to help more listeners like and find this podcast. And if you really loved what you heard today, pay it forward and send this episode to a friend or loved one. For more Starseed Kitchen, visit starseedkitchen.com and follow us on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Be sure to pick up a jar of my high vibration foods, organic spices, which you can purchase on starseedkitchen.com. You can find me and follow along on my chef adventures on all your favorite social media channels at Whitney Aronoff. Thanks again for tuning in. Cheers to you and your health.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.